Hi, and welcome to Movements and Sounds, a podcast focusing on contemporary Indigenous musics and sounds in Australia and issues related to this topic. At SOAS Radio, we are excited to bring stories from the other side of the world to our studio in London. Thanks so much for listening to Movements and Sounds. I'm Charlotte, the facilitator of this podcast. It is important to know that I am a non-Indigenous person. However, I support decolonization and giving land back to Indigenous peoples. So today I'm talking to Monk, uh, also known as Monkey Muck. He is a Kori Yawajali hip-hop artist from Sydney and is also referred to as the grandfather of indigenous hip-hop, as what I've read. He has been working in the music industry for decades, uses hip-hop as a tool for indigenous kids all over Australia to get passionate about their language um, and to get motivated to stay in school. He's a founding member of the hip-hop group Southwest Syndicate. A visual artist, a producer, and is host on Query Radio. <laughs> ah, there we go. Yes. <laughs> He's pointing to his Query Radio shirt, his hoodie. Um, we're both talking um, from, well, I'm on Iora uh, and Darug Lands. We'd like to acknowledge these countries and elders, past, present, and emerging. All right. I'm so excited. So, Monk or Monkey Monk, what, which one do you prefer? You can call me Monk or Mark, and I've come this far. Anyway. <laughs> Getting it. Oh, wow. Okay, we're into it. Monk, so, um, yeah, so you have done, and you are doing so many things with your music career. Um, you you have these lyrics in Welcome Back that really make me laugh. They say, been on this scene too long, got dementia, something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, I now think... she's quieting lyrics. This gets, right. this, is gonna, this gets better and better. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I think that really reflects how busy you are. It's hard to decide where to start and what to focus on, but I think let's start maybe with Southwest Syndicate. I know you co-founded this group in 1985-86, I believe, right? And it's been quiet for a few years. And then to my surprise, I saw you perform during NADOC in the city only a month ago. And so what made you decide to get this group back up and running again? Yeah, sadly, the other co-founder just they passed away, oh. which was pretty sad, which uh, I love for going back to the roots, I reckon, is probably more to the point. And a, a new album that is about to arrive on the scene where we been in the studio doing some stuff oh. for an album that I didn't have to produce. How good is that? Oh, wow. That must be refreshing <laughs> that, was, that, was like, that was very refreshing to just like, I did like have a hand in doing a lot of the music and, you know, I'm playing the uh, fair bit of the music, but I could just like be an artist, which was really good. And so what makes you decide to come back? Like what, what happened there? Did you, did you just feel it or was there a certain moment that you were like oh. no i think because with a bit of like things so over yeah i mean if i even go back before that i used to be a break dancer so mm -hmm. people always ask how'd you get into music and i got into music even as a music producer that produces all genres because there's the there's the one for you is that what people don't understand is producers jobs are not anything to do with genre a producer's job is to make a band or an artist sound good or as good as possible, really. <laughs> That's the job description. Yeah. So, uh, but even like uh, doing other types of music, because I've recorded everything from opera to death metal and everything else in between, is a lot of people like, how'd you get into music? Because they don't, yeah, I mean, 
especially people that don't really know my like roots of where I come from. And I'm like, I got into music through breakdancing. And they're like, what? <laughs> that usually makes them like shake their head and go, what? So back in 93 and 84, I was uh, busking full time and then, uh, then doing shows, doing professional breakdancing shows and playing on festivals and things like that, where I got to meet musicians who being an inquisitive young man that I was at that point in time, a young fella there is like, oh man, I'm interested to see how you guys make music. And then I eventually like got into uh, chances to get into recording studios and learn to uh, record people, which was, uh, I suppose, you could probably couldn't do that these days. Just meeting uh, random uh, artists <laughs> at festivals and, and asking them about music and then them saying, oh yeah, come into the studio and then uh, eventually getting a job in the studio. And then... Fast forward 30 years plus, and then all of a sudden, that's been a career path, which is crazy, <laughs> which is uh, not, nothing like what I started out doing, spinning around on my back in my head. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I have read about uh, about your days of, of spinning around in your head, <laughs> as you say it. <laughs> Um, Whatever you do, don't spin on your head. You'll end up with no hair. <laughs> that's, what um, that's what I tell all the kids these days. <laughs> oh, is that why you always wear a, a thing on your head? Yeah, see, this thing of <laughs> oh, like growing hair is from hard work. Yeah, and we we just say that that's spinning around too much. <laughs> but yeah, so back to the back yeah. to the where the story Southwest Syndicate, and then uh, yeah, you know I mean, then we formed like a hip hop. Like I was doing some solo hip hop stuff. And being me, being an inclusive type of person, might as well, like, get a couple of mates of mine and, like, uh, we should just, like, try to make some music together, do some rapping and stuff. And then uh, over the years, that group just went from, like, four or five people to probably about 30 people going through that group, which is, uh, cra- you know what I mean? However many years after, you know what I mean? 15 years later, it probably like dwindled back down to like just three or four, which is when we kind of like didn't do anything anymore, which then, uh, yeah, I mean, I was more very busy doing uh, the producing stuff as well anyway. So I probably lost a bit of interest myself. But then after like going overseas and producing all these, all these uh, records, et cetera, and having a bit of success then coming back and then, uh, talking to uh, these other guys in the crew and uh, it's like it's kind of like kind of reaching a level of uh, happiness and then like going oh man what am I going to do now oh man let's go back to the beginning <laughs> let's go back to the beginning with my friends and uh, make some music and uh, my mantra these days is all about make music and have fun if you're not ha- I even tell all the bands that I record now if you're not making make music, have fun. Another mate of mine said, "Oh man, that's a good T-shirt, bro." <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, make music, have fun, and have fun doing it. You know what I mean? It shouldn't be a chore. It should be a, an enjoyable thing. And even if you're, you know, I mean, even if you're doing uh, love songs or hardcore political stuff or whatever that you're doing music about, you should be having fun doing it. If you're not you're probably in the wrong business for sure and so you really see it as just a coming together of with with friends now ways to hang out back to uh, back yeah. to where it started which wow. is you know and so, so like with Zare 
then like we've done a whole heap of things that were more, what would you call it, like work. <laughs> and then it's like, all right, now we go back to it's all comes yeah, around yeah, in full yeah. circle. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, hang out and make music. And uh, everyone is very, uh, what would you call it, rather politically uh, inclined as well. So it was like made it like interesting to make music. Yeah. With people as, they, as they've matured and uh, got, uh, what would you call it, got older and wiser, you'd think, maybe. Yeah, well, that's that's what that's what people hope, to get wiser. <laughs> that's what people hope. <laughs> And so, uh, so is that one of the goals, really? You'd say, like, you you all have like this pol very politically engaged ideas about the world, and you want to bring that together. We did have a like thing. We did have a bit of a. Uh, do we just want to make random songs? Which these days, you know, I mean, everything's about singles. You know, and that's the other, you know, and another thing I do: a bit of consultancy on mentoring young artists and uh, trying to give them. They had, all I do is like give people. You just give people options. And tell them what's out there. But the music industry is an ever-evolving and ever-changing thing. So what was happening in the music industry five years ago isn't what's happening today. It just keeps forever. And if kind of, if you're not on top of it, <laughs> it kind of makes it hard. But with that said, we just sat there and go, oh man, instead of like doing what everyone else is doing and just putting out singles at this point, because we've kind of gone back to that now. We've gone back to the pre-Beatles day, like gone back to the Beatles days of just putting out a song. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like, nah, let's like do an album, but let's make the album one story. So I'll make the album one narrative that tells a story from song one to song 12, 11, so that you can kind of just follow a little uh, timeline. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I've been thinking of stuff like that. And it was probably a DJ that came up with that. DJ Black President, he was just like, yeah, man, because I've got this thing in my head about, you know what I mean, when I came, because he's a Samoan, so a Pacific Islander, mm. and uh, he's like, when I came to this country, they were telling me that it's a lucky country, because he came here originally to play rugby leagues back in the uh, early 90s. Mm -hmm. So he was more like, yeah, well, you know what I mean? So he goes, so what is the lucky country? And I go, well, it's kind of like the promised land isn't it so that's the name of the album is promised land what is the promised land and where does it where does the promised land begin and where does it end and what happened what's been happening in between which tells that whole narrative so yeah that's what i mean it's, it's good to then connect rather than just doing pop songs and this and that like connecting with people and bouncing off each other and getting those so i wouldn't have thought of that you know, and if i was if i if i wasn't talking to these to my friends in in a room there's no way that i would have ever even come up with that i always just said oh, i used to do a couple of songs about blah 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 whatever yeah you know what i mean and just like have some fun doing it but no nah, it's more of this whole now it's like this album that's like a complete narrative which we uh hope to get out by the end of the year amazing i mean i'm very curious <laughs> yeah well it starts with uh well actually the album starts with a hundred year old uncle wes Mar. Oh, no way. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Which uh, we got a yeah, we 100 year old elder to like start the album, which is the way to do it. And in the first track, talking about what paradise was like before colonization. Oh, wow. What a paradise this place was. And then it moves on from there and basically tells like a story of history of this country going through like like Aboriginal issues, migrants. Yeah, I mean, because our group isn't just all uh, First Nations people. We're all, uh, it's a multicultural group. We're uh, so uh, telling us as well. 
and then how we connect in the way of hip hop culture, and then other, and then as it goes on and on and on, it's like like I say, one big story, which is like I wouldn't have thought of that. I'm not that's not I'm not that smart. <laughs> to think of something like that <laughs> well you're being very modest and to give uh, to give an idea of the sound um who would you say is the album inspired by certain artists or or sounds i suppose no not much in the way of because it's very eclectic the uh, mix mm. of because we're into all in because there's a lot of us and we're all into different types of music and we just like put together well was more about the uh i think it was at first it was more about the uh the narrative and then me like as the musical person is more like damn well how do we uh how do we make a soundtrack to the narrative which is uh from that first one which paradise of course is very uh sounds like paradise very sparse it's got like birds tweeting all the way through the whole track you know, I mean, there's a, like landscape type things going on, clapsticks. You know, I mean, very, uh, you know, I mean, very, uh, but then when you get to the middle of the album and there's a song in the middle that is our, what would you call it? Our take on racism is, uh, well, we've got a guest, oh, a collaboration with a group called The Hard Ons, who were uh, Kurt Cobain's, one of Kurt Cobain's favorite bands oh, wow. and one of his biggest influences. So if you see Henry, oh, I think Henry Rollins did an album with the Hard-Ons back in the 90s. Anyway, if you see a lot of those grunge guys, they're all like super influenced by the, by a group who are from the same area as us in Southwest Sydney called the Hard-Ons, who are a multicultural punk band that were around the same era as us. Anyway, and they had a song which probably isn't that relevant today and is probably uh, not politically correct, but <laughs> in the way of the, like... So uh, in the the name, well, the name of the song is Wog Food, oh, which oh is <laughs> which is like a uh, yeah, you know I mean, which is yes. what the uh, Anglo people used to call uh, ethnics in the yeah, you know, sixties to the eighties or so. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm sure there are some people out there that still do that, but so through like the punk band who uh, is a Sri Lankan guy, a Korean guy, and a, a Croatian guy then uh, make a song about why the girl wouldn't go out with him because she hated wog food, which was back in – well, now, now, and they made that song as a punk song back in 1983, which is, like, a fair while ago now, isn't it? And then we're like, oh, man, we should, like, do our take on that song, and that'll be our racism song, where we uh, chime in on the uh, the whole racism. Yeah, I mean, so it's like a hip-hop meets punk thing. So that's completely different to – the first track, which is beauty and, uh, like I say, paradise on the first track, where that is just a punk rock song with with rappers on it. (laughs) Oh, wow. So it's very, uh, yeah, cross-genre. Cross-genre. Yeah, I mean, we've got an old-school song about about the 80s, a couple of other MCs on there, Sarek from Def Wish Cast and Mystery from The Brethren, who uh, were guys that were around back in the 80s to tell the story of what happened in the 80s in a way of it's probably the first time that, you know, in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were starting to mix with other ethnic races as a part of hip-hop culture, bringing uh, people together. 
which uh, once again, that that song tells that story, as it is that part of that longer narrative of <laughs> of, the, of what the whole album is about. Well, it gets through to the end because, and it's not all doom and gloom. We get some, uh, yeah, I mean, positive vibe type stuff going as well. Yeah, you know I mean, because if you uh, depress yourself, all you're doing is giving yourself earlier death date. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so it's like about they're keeping some positivity. I mean, after all this stuff, you got to like, even after the uh, Walt Food song is then this song about how much you, do you love your family, how much we all love our families and the people that have passed on and our friends, our main friends and families that have passed on, which then is like, oh, wow, you've just gone from this like kind of funny racist thing into love for uh, you know I mean? into love of your family and friends but then another track of the bringing positivity you know I mean? trying to keep thinking positive etc and then yeah you know I mean? and then we kind of like go through all the way through and at the end we've got a uh, like a bit of a posse track with a whole heap of other rappers from around the country just talking about what their perception of the promised land is coming back to that promised land idea yeah coming back to and that's like the finisher is like all right, let's, uh, which I, my verses in that is probably my favorite verse I've ever written in my life because I've always wanted to like talk about it, but then not, never found a context to be able to like, or then I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to make rhymes out of this? Which is that my perception of the promised land is, or something that kind of irks me about what the promised land is supposed to be is the whole alcohol thing where people don't understand that alcohol, like especially uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people always lumped into these like drinkers. You know what I mean? For years and years, being, uh, you know what I mean? People just say, oh, these, fellow, these people are a bunch of drunks. Yeah. But if you go back to the history of colonization in this country, there was no money. There was no coins. There was no notes. If you did something, you know what I mean? Once uh, Aboriginal people and uh, the colonizers came together, and then basically, if you'd done something, you got paid with alcohol. Rum was the currency. Yeah, I mean, the currency was alcohol. So it wasn't until much later that there were coins. Yeah, you know I mean, you traded with coins and, and notes where people have, these days, they don't even exist. These days, you just tap a card. But um, before that, but before there was notes and coins, that was the system. That was how you like thing. This country was built on a currency of alcohol, which then my verse like talks about that all the way into like Aboriginal people get labelled as drunks, but it's okay for the prime minister to go to the pub and skull beers with his mates. Yeah, hypocritical, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, but then telling that story of, and I always thought, how, yeah, I mean, it's like something that has always irked me and always gone, oh man, how am I ever going to like get that into some sort of musical form and i'm thinking oh man the time will come at some stage it came that's my verse on that promised land <laughs> so i'm like oh wow finally got that one out that's amazing i'm like you're making me hungry for this album now <laughs> i'd really like to hear it i also um so for the releases that that are out there now that i've listened to so far I know that uh, like you seem to have a very strong connection to to your place in Southwest Syndicate and also in the Renegades of Monk. Uh, you always talk about Sydney, the streets of Sydney. You know, um, you you mention Bankstown a lot, Punchbowl, and uh, I know you have lyrics uh, where you say, "I love this." When you say freestyling to myself, walking Sydney streets, rhyming. 
that kind of thing. And your logos, they always have, you know. You're, you're pretty good on my lyrics, I reckon, mate. You should, you should stand in for me at some stage. Oh. <laughs> I have to, have to have to look into into musical stuff, right? <laughs> it's, my, it's my job. Um, but yeah, like yeah, of course the lyrics are so important. And um, like I said, what was I saying? Oh yeah, like the the Sydney logo and stuff. So you, Sydney and and Southwest Sydney in particular, like they seem very important to your identity. More of like back in the uh, say the early nineties, I reckon meeting other what would you call them famous hip hop acts that were coming from America to here. And meeting, uh, meeting them, and uh, just like that whole thing of they just talking about what they, what is happening in their lives locally, and just learning that from them overseas hip hop acts. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's like they don't want to hear hear people in Australia talking about the streets of uh, the streets of New York. Yeah, yeah I mean, they want to. Uh, I suppose that's the other thing why uh, hip hop music resonates with, uh, especially with First Nations people in this country. Is also that in uh, our culture, stories was, were uh, passed down through song for the last hundred thousand years, as well as with uh, cave paintings as well. You know what I mean, rock art, mm-hmm. which is very similar to like graffiti art. These, you know what I mean, which is what probably why uh, there's, yeah, you know I mean, that's why I think that's why hip hop culture like resonates big time with uh, with uh, with First Nations people here in this country, yeah. because it's a very similar way of passing on uh, information and knowledge yeah i think that is the uh, like the the connection yeah, that mob sure. here have with with hip-hop culture yeah it's it's interesting isn't it and do you think it's specific hip-hop culture because i suppose oral storytelling is through a multiplicity of musical genres if you go back and this is something that i'm big on i'm big on like uh, like history especially mm. of uh, first nations artists in this country and people usually, usually their history of First Nations artists in this country usually goes back to the 70s or 80s or something. Yeah. But I'm talking like 1900s, 80, yeah, I mean, late 1800s, 1900s. Here's another thing you got to remember is that Aboriginal people in this country were not citizens of this country until 1967, which isn't that long ago, really. So all that time from start of colonization, 1788, there might as well be a, a plant. Or treated equally as a plant yeah. or a tree. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, and obviously with the whole uh, thing of put on submissions and uh, trying to be bred and bring bread out, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, I mean, as you see, I'm a very fair person in the way of, uh, in the way of uh, having uh, ancestral blood that is, uh, is black. Yeah, you know I mean, so it's like that's part of the government policy of... Uh, from the from the 1800s on was pretty much uh let's see if we can put these segregate these people into half cart what they what we don't have yeah you know, i mean we don't talk about a caste system but the government of the day did and we'll stick all the half castes over here and then we'll take their kids if they have kids to white people we'll take the quarter caste and put them nowhere near the half caste so that you know what i mean and then so parents even full bloods as they called them couldn't see their kids, you know, I mean, the kids were taken away and like things. So it was this whole thing of, oh man, let's breed these people out and segregate them. And then we'll just like infiltrate them into the uh, society, into uh, white society, which uh, just is the, is the, is the real history of this country. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Really. It's not a, any, it's not anything else, but the truth and, and documented, well documented in <laughs> people's journals and books and, I mean, very, very well documented. 
It's like it's not like it's not documented or anything like that. So there's that whole thing there of uh, yeah. I mean, people just uh, people just aren't uh, considered citizens up until then. But then there's people that are on these missions that want to get off these missions, and how and uh, some of them are so smart that they become uh, traveling troubadours in the way of just traveling around and performing everywhere. And even in the, uh, yeah, I mean, even in the cities, et cetera, people are, wow, wow, that was a, what an amazing uh, act they are. They mightn't be allowed to come into, uh, <laughs> allowed to swim in our swimming pools or et cetera, et cetera, but we can sit here and enjoy their music, you know what I mean? And then they're thinking, well, the way out of here is just like travel, just go everywhere all over the country and we'll just travel. Mm-hmm. So then all these clans of musicians started traveling around and like making songs rather than uh, sitting there, you know, you know, in one of these camps or missions as they call them and getting the language beaten out of you. We'd rather be free and like make songs. And you had people copy that model, like non-Aboriginal people copy that model in the, like the, uh, the mid 1900s, like uh, Slim Dusty, etc. He was loved in Aboriginal communities, but he is like thing. But yeah, I mean, he just took that model of just like, oh, wow, I'll just become a, a, a troubadour and like travel, but I'll travel to any community. I'll travel to Aboriginal communities as well and do my thing. But all he was doing was copying what blackfellas had been doing for years and years. And that whole uh, thing of being, a, being able to using music because I reckon any First Nations person that is doing music is political in itself. Yeah. In the way of a person who's just like being a you know, Yeah, of course. Is choosing to tell a story. Yeah, for sure. And taking up space. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's why my, you know, I mean, to teach people about those troubadours. I've done uni lectures, et cetera, where students are just like, wow, did that, <laughs> did that happen? Yeah. It's a... Uh, an amazing story that, uh, and even you go back to like people that became stars, which once again, even before we were citizens, we had stars on television that were usually music stars like Jimmy Little, etc. who were, you know, but his father was a troubadour okay. who had all these great songs. And uh, Jimmy Little actually uh, recorded some of his father's songs as well back in the 50s. But in the 60s, he was a national name and uh, and on TV for music there. Yeah, I mean, once again, music. And like you say, once again, taking up space and being seen, which is amazing accomplishment. Yeah, definitely. And before even being a citizen. Yeah, this is uh, before being a citizen. <laughs> so you go back to other other people that are trailblazers like, uh, like Harold Blair, who was an international opera superstar. So I went over to Europe and was treated like, like royalty, in the way of one of the greatest, you know, of his yeah. his time back in the forties uh, was like uh, one of the, uh, you know, and being an Aboriginal person from Australia and being in these big opera halls and uh, doing basically an opera singer and performing with all over Europe, and then fast forward 15, 20 years and he comes back to Australia and he can't even like. Once again, he's back to a second-class citizen where overseas he's like an absolute superstar and the red carpet is rolled out for him everywhere that he goes and then comes back home and can't even walk into a, uh, into a hotel or, a, or anywhere. Can't go to the local swimming pool, can't go here, can't go to this park, can't go there. And just seeing those – and after, after like seeing 
you know, and how he's treated over in Europe and then coming back home and coming home, that's right, home, all right, back onto his country where, you know, and where he was born and then not allowed to, well, once again, he's not even a citizen here, but he's an absolute superstar and, uh, like I say, treated the red carpet everywhere he goes overseas. Yeah. Well, once again, amazing that he would actually go overseas to pursue that. But once again, it's another way out, isn't it? Even uh, another one of our legends, who uh, Wilma Redding, who was uh, Duke Ellington's lead singer for many years, also was on the Morecambe and Wise show in the UK in the 70s. But once they got rid of Wilma, they tried to clone her. So they found Sh- Shirley Bassey. <laughs> Shirley Bassey, who was a clone of Wilma. So it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, but she was in Hollywood movies, et cetera, once again. Not a citizen in this country, better off living overseas. And her aunt, Georgia Lee, done the same thing, was a jazz singer. She was actually the first uh, female to ever be recorded in stereo, I think. That's where Wilma got the idea. And then Wilma's sister, Heather, thought that she'd do the same thing and went to Holland. And uh, to this day, people think that she's like a Dutch star because she was had all these hit records in Holland. And her brother, Warwick, so she went there with her brother, Warwick, and uh, so he used to play in a group in a uh, in a Dutch funk band called Focus. Oh no way! Okay. Who are who are quite like their records are quite rare and Halloween uh, as a uh, like in the uh, in, in the vinyl collectors world. I didn't know that he played in Focus until Heather May told me, and I was like, I know these. Fo- <laughs> I know there would be an like a. An Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander person that plays in their band. So there's all these uh, like amazing stories that are the history of the that, and these this is the history of this country. When an artist or pop artist or whatever artist you are, is uh, comes off the shoulders and the back of these other people of what they were doing. Yeah, you know I mean, so without them trailblazers, there's no there's no us. There's no people doing the, you know what I mean, where, where what they can do today. So it's like there. So even so, just to even Heather May, I think she went in Eurovision or something like that. One of them competitions, representing Holland in the seventies. That's why people thought that she was a Dutch like thing that she was Dutch, but she eventually kind of her career fizzled out and she moved back to Cairns. Which once again, people going overseas and doing uh, and doing things that are amazing. It even goes back to say, have you ever heard of a group called the Average White Band? They're a Scottish uh, funk band from the uh, 70s. And uh, Robbie McIntosh, the drummer, was the one of the founding members of the average white band, basically the funkiest white band in the, of, the, of their time. And uh, sadly, he passed away. I think Sher tried to revive him when he died. I think he had, had a drug overdose or something like that. So these guys were, like, really big. You know, and they went to L.A. to record their albums and things like that. But Robbie McIntosh, his father was an actor who uh, was from the U- from, was from the, the US but that actor's father was from Lismore oh, he no was way. a black fella he was a trapeze artist he was the he was the world's greatest trapeze artist in the early 1900s oh, he could actually walk on a trapeze wire and do a front flip and land on his feet and how bizarre then that this scottish band called themselves the what's the what Average white? The average white band. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, that's what I mean. So you've got a you've got a you've got a bunjalung man who yeah. who's seen that he's like pretty good in like thing that has been picked up by the circus to go all around the world. Yeah. And ended up in 
in America and had a kid who's then an actor, who's then gone to <laughs> gone on gone to to do a movie in the UK and had a son that turns into the drama of this uh, of this group. <laughs> Not so white after all. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Wow, this is such a, a history lesson. Well, these people are trailblazers. Even this circus fella, even this circus fella that's going overseas, you know what I mean? As a as a trapeze wire guy that can do a front flip and land on his feet on a trapeze wire, how you do that is I have no idea. All right, is trailblazing and is leaving a legacy for his, yeah, you know I mean, for his yeah. offspring, and, and and these are the stories that. Is the backbone of what we do now as like First Nations artists in this country. Without, like I say, without these people, we don't exist. No, for sure. Uh, yeah, this comes back time and time again. I think the the earlier generations they paved the paths, right? This is exactly right, and that's the uh, yeah, I mean, and and that's why I was kind of excited to talk about you because to be able to like tell some of these stories, which are amazing stories, because. Yeah. If I don't tell that past, et cetera, especially these days, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, it's, I think it's up to people like myself to remind people that about this stuff, which is, yeah. once again, political in the way that these people are trailblazers. They're even getting up and going overseas and going, I'm going to get out of this country by yes. any means, any, by, by any talent necessary. You also work in Cree Radio. You have a, a program making tracks. Here we go. There yeah. we go. There we go. I'm lucky enough to be the, uh, the making track presenter for the moment, which yeah. is good value. Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. Tell, you, tell a little bit about uh, the program. What is your main aim or focus or goal with with your program? Well, to be realistic, COVID kicked me into the uh, into that slot. All right. Which uh, so that uh, the making tracks pro like so and even with the history of Queer Radio is like another. It was born out of Radio Redfern, which was once again a part of, in 1988, there was the Bicentennial Celebrations, which then was the biggest ever First Nations march mm-hmm. of people coming from all over the country to Sydney. And uh, on that day in 1988, people needed some way to know what was going on. So Radio Skid Row, which was originally a uh, university radio station that then moved into just being an independent radio station, gave basically Radio Redfern airtime to... Yeah, so uh, shared the frequency. Yeah. And then uh, then that just kept carrying on. And then eventually that kind of uh, died out. And then it was like, oh, well, then uh, Kathy Craigie was like, well, let's like start our own radio station then on our own terms and our own uh, and then uh, had test frequencies for many years and just doing stuff and then one day there was uh immaculately there was uh licenses going up for grabs and uh crew radio being someone being a station that offered something different to any other radio station got the license basically where anyone can turn their radio on and pick it up all the way up to newcastle down to wollongong past the mountains Yeah, I mean, it's like the whole we, whole range of Sydney we are, is our footprint. Being uh, part of the organization on and off for many, many years, and when I came back from overseas due to the COVID, whole COVID situation in 2020, they had some problems at the station with someone actually having like uh, someone that was work, that was uh, interning there actually having COVID. Mm. 
So the station pretty much shut down. It's like, well, what are we going to do? And then I kind of just rolled into town and, like, <laughs> and it was like, a what would you call it? A meeting of convenience of like, you can uh, broadcast from home, can't you? Well, we're going to set up the uh, radio computer to uh, be able to take your feed. So you can, uh, you can do live radio from home, which then I started doing live radio from home and especially with all the COVID news and all that sort of stuff that, and things that were happening and going on over that period. Yeah, Halloween was uh, the reason why I started doing it because I thought also it's like this is like a needed thing for uh, people to, you know, I mean, to know what's going on and what their best, you know, I mean, situation, best bet with all this information. And then until, well, now pretty much, I've been doing it for the last three years. Before that, I used to host a show called the Indigenous Hip Hop Show that was going for many years before I passed it on to other people when I went overseas, producing like music over in, uh, in Asia, Korea, Japan, Indonesia, Thailand, Philippines. Yeah, just basically just jumping to places and producing records for a good half a decade to a decade. Yeah, I mean, but then coming back, yeah, so I was doing, before I did that, I was like doing the Indigenous Hip Hop Show, which was showcasing First Nations hip hop artists because what happened before that is for many, for years I was doing a free-on-free basketball competition, this basketball and hip hop challenge that we used to do. And we'd go everywhere, all around the country, they, basically nearly every couple of weekends. And nearly, nearly every two weeks we'd be in a different area in, the, in Australia. And all these artists used to come and give me, well, back then, CDs. <laughs> And go, man, listen to my song. So I'd have all these CDs just stacking up in my room and going, man, these CDs are going nowhere because uh, they, they're just sitting in my room. And then I thought, when, then when uh, Brad, who was the, like the manager of Kuri Radio at the time, goes, oh, man, so you're back from like, because once again, I was overseas before like around 2003, 2004, 2005. And then I came back. He's like, oh, man, what are you doing? goes do you want to do a show and i was like man that's not a bad option because i've got all these cds sitting here and they i reckon i I reckon i've got about three years worth of uh, material i never have to play the same song twice (laughs) so i started doing like that and then people were like jumping on board and then a whole heap of stations not here but in other countries as well were picking up we were doing one stage we were on 80 radio 80, 80 radio stations here and overseas which was like amazing and but only but my thing was like no nah, i'm only going to play first nations hip-hop artists because that was the other thing is filling in on some of the other stations as a presenter and you don't have any pick on what you play the few times that i did it i was like i'm not really enjoying this here. and it's like what do you call it it's not really any uh, first nations <laughs> any of this music that i'm playing yeah and i've got a whole heap of it and i'm like trying to tell the these people at these uh bigger radio stations that nah man this stuff is ex- like exists and they're like oh no 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 this is what you got to play right. so i kind of like then thought well i've got all this stuff man i'll go to Koori radio and we'll play like this and then that just be- became pretty massive and the place for, for first nations artists to then send their music in and get played and you know what i mean and it's like when briggs sending me his first like album yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, to give it a bit, give it a spin. All these, yeah, I mean, artists just, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a place for them to uh, feel safe yeah. and comfortable. Uh, well, I think it was an EP, or it might have even been a song, actually. Hey, that was a fair while ago now. <laughs> that was a good 20, well, 15 to 20 years ago now. But that was, uh, 
you know what I mean? But that was what it was. It was a uh, show for First Nations artists to get their music played and uh, an audience could actually hear it. And that audience just kept growing and growing. And uh, and then, like I say, once I started doing a lot of work overseas, I was well, going back to producing music overseas. I passed that show on to someone else to do. Yeah, so I was doing that before and then like thing. And then I came back because of COVID and then I was kind of thrown, not thrown in the deep end, but kind of uh, put my hand up to dive in the deep end off the cliff. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, right. And, um, and uh, do the show, which then, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of started, like, kind of tried to turn it into uh, its own. Once again, it's like, yeah, I mean, kids, I get pretty bored pretty easily. So it's like, nah, man, let's do a show where first hour we're showcasing all the, not just not hip hop, but mainly like all First Nations artists out there that have, and there's so many young kids these days putting out music on a regular basis. That's just like, highlight them and highlight the legends and highlight everyone in between and give everyone a go. Yeah, I mean, we'll try to uh, be very diplomatic and inclusive on that, you know, I mean, on the show, type of person I am. And then uh, kind of, and then I did, because I was for a while doing a uh, lunchtime show with a couple of friends of mine that were record collectors, one of them uh, being uh, my uh, very good friend called the Black Diamond Williams. Once again, an Aboriginal uh, man who, who was playing rug, professional rugby league before, or well, his father was one of these trailblazers as well, Candy Williams, one of the legends of, uh, of uh, music. But he was a uh, rugby league player that had this contract with the Rabbitohs, but then he left and to go over, over to America and play basketball and then came back and was a superstar basketball player and then was the first coach of the Sydney Kings etc but when he was in america he'd buy all these funk records and all these like amazing records and the, he's got this immaculate collection where you go to his house but you got to wear gloves to touch him you can't even, and that's not just the vinyl to touch the cover you got to wear gloves with that guy mate he's out of control precious, precious about it oh, wow. oh precious about these things they're in immaculate condition you know what i mean these records that he's bought back in the 70s yeah, you know I mean, so doing that, and then I so I used to do a show with with him and another fellow, Dave Dave Marcellus, who's like a drummer. He's played probably on more hits than I could name as a session musician. So us three used to do just like a lunchtime show for a fair for a few years there as well. When I was doing the Indige Hip Hop show, we were doing a Thursday lunchtime, I think, and just like everyone was just bringing in all their rare rare records and things like that, and just playing tunes. But so I kind of try to replicate that and uh, like that add that into the show as well. And because uh, it's a three hour show, so it's like, oh, the third hour, I just like try to pull out gems and yeah, talk yeah. a little bit about. And that's the thing that people like about it. A lot of people comment on the fact that I talk about the artists and who they are and what they do and who their connections are and all that sort of thing on everything I play, not just the, the rare stuff with the um, First Nations artists that I play, same thing. Yeah, yeah. Who are these people and what do they are in? And, Etc. Trying to just give people paint a picture, paint yeah. a picture for people to uh, see who they are, who they are, and what they do, and what they're about. Yeah, of course. I love that. I uh, today I got to learn. I, I listened to the first bit of your show, and um, I really loved the Black Rock bands. Oh my goodness, they are so yep. much fun. I yeah, found out about them. Yeah, through, so that's uh, what I mean, and that's the that's the whole thing of uh, being able to just uh, highlight like thing. 
showcase people and highlight and as you see i try to make a like thing yeah and if you want to get into doom and gloom you can turn on the six o'clock news <laughs> if you want to have some fun and have a laugh and learn some like about some music and uh and yeah i mean it's all very inclusive fun yeah i mean like i say if you're listening you're part of the team you're part of what we do here because it's uh that's what we're about it's all about being inclusive and uh and having, you know, and even my news stories are always something that is, we're not into the doom and gloom. You can turn your, new, you can turn your six o'clock news on and watch yeah. all that. We try to have some interesting bits and pieces and some funny things. And for sure. You can really so tell, a, by the way, uh, you present things. Like even, for example, when you start with the weather, for example, I've never heard such, such an enthusiastic weather report ever on the radio. Oh. It's fantastic. All my mates say the same thing. They go, man, no one does traffic like you, bro. No, it's <laughs> like it's such a pleasure to listen to. <laughs> Yeah. Well, oh my dude, goodness, what happened today? Oh, yeah, that's right. Today there was a car breaking down in lane two. <laughs> all right, which is three lanes. So it's in the middle lane. So you have to either go left or right to go around it. I'm going, man, it's like a game of Frogger <laughs> from back in the 80s. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, it, it definitely made me laugh. And I, I want to ask you a little bit about have you ever co organized Yabun? Because I know that's what Corey Radio does. Yeah, no, it's usually, a, usually, a, usually a separate team that do that. Yeah, but right. I've hosted okay. it a couple of times and yeah, hosted yeah. some stages and things like that, yeah. which is always a pleasure. And uh, of course, that's our survival day festival. Yeah, as we, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, on the uh, what they on what they do call Australia Day, <laughs> otherwise known as Invasion Day or Survival Day. No, I would call it Invasion Day or Survival Day, but I'm a half class full type of guy. Which I'd rather I'd, I'd rather not even think about invasion and more think about celebrating our survival that yeah. pe Aboriginal people have survived this long. Given the uh, what would you call it attempts to wipe <laughs> to wipe to wipe people out, wipe wipe our race out. Yeah, 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 definitely. Have you seen over the years the the festival developed, like in terms of? Of course, it's getting bigger and bigger, but also different audiences. Yeah, even before even before Koori Radio Danyabun, there was survival festival yeah. before that so yeah being at some of those events as well actually i was in in 1988 i was at the building bridges concert which was probably one of the first ones back in 1988 at bondi pavilion i think it was there were some uh aboriginal bands and uh then uh, i think paul kelly was there as well oh, yeah, playing a set i think the year after that midnight all made a surprise appearance seeing that they were on tour overseas They just flew in especially to do that show oh. and flew back out to wherever they were in the world, mm. which, uh, yeah, which is uh, just shows uh, their, the, yeah, I mean, their willingness to uh, be able to uh, support support the uh, the cause and uh, our mob. But, yeah, that's, I don't know. With organization-wise, yeah, I mean, there's usually a team that do that. Yeah, right. But you've been part usually of the, the content, yeah, I mean, like the MC. Yeah, with the former. content and there's yeah. – There's the volunteers and there's uh, stalls and et cetera. Yeah, I mean, the dance stage, there's the music stage. Yeah, I mean, so it's like a, it's a big job. We also used to have, a, um, hopefully we'll get back to that eventually once we can get some more staff on, is uh, we had this Young, Black and Deadly program, which was a talent development program oh. where a lot of young artists Or a lot of older artists these days have like come out of that because 
uh, as an organization, we've been doing a Young, Black and Deadly for a good 20 years. So, yeah, I mean, worth of uh, just giving uh, young, giving kids a, a chance to perform and be able to uh, pursue music. Yeah, right. So is that if a they want, If they want. Or how does how No, does it's work? more of just a, more of just a mentoring program and uh, for any Aboriginal kids to jump on board and be part of. Amazing. Is that still happening? No. So uh, I reckon the last eight years or so, we haven't had the funds or the uh, personnel to be able to like keep that going. But that's something that I try to do myself anyway, outside of any organisation really, <laughs> is try to like mentor young artists as well. There's plenty of young artists that I mentor and uh, give advice to. And the best thing about that is then they go fly away and they go and uh, I wouldn't say they forget all about you, but they uh, don't bug you anymore. <laughs> it's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, right. Because they're doing their, they're, they're, they're up there and they're doing their own thing. You know, it's like, yeah. hey, you don't need to, if you don't need to bug me anymore, you're on, you're on the, you're on the right track. You're like, yeah, you know, and they then gives me time to like them work on other young people that are trying to get to a point where they can fly off and uh, do their thing. As for people going, oh man, that person never, never acknowledged that you helped him, helped them out. I couldn't care less about that. That's like, mate, the more that they don't acknowledge me, the better. It means that they're doing like they're doing well. Their own thing. Yeah, right. I could say they it's like it's like kids, yeah. You know? I mean they fly the coop and they go out and they're in their own world. Yeah, and this this actually reminds me of what I think I uh, mentioned in in my introduction about you. You did um, for Triple J. This was, I think, right? You went to um, indigenous communities, rural areas, where you were teaching kids how to use hip hop and yeah, we're doing that. I was doing other stuff. Yeah. yeah, can you tell me a bit about that as well? Yeah, I was doing a little bit of work there for Triple J, doing a bit of production as well as uh, a couple of. Uh, what would you call them, projects in the way of uh, just, uh, once again, it's just mentoring. It's just mentor seeing what talent is around. And, mentor and I was already doing that kind of, I was kind of doing that at that same time. It's funny because at that same time that we're doing that, I was doing the uh, three-on-three basketball thing as well, which is nearly exactly the same thing. Yeah, you know, I going to communities and uh, having an event yeah. with, with, with basketball and uh, break dancing, yeah, I mean, finding, but obviously with the free-on-free -free thing, we could find break dancers and we could find musical artists, etc. Yeah. I had like a, I'd done an interview a couple of years ago with a lead singer of a, of a pretty uh, up there band these days where he goes, oh man, remember, do you remember me from the free-on-free -free at this place? I was following you around all day. Oh. <laughs> like, oh man, he can... <laughs> We said that after the interview. It kind of said, went into that after we finished the interview. I was like, "Oh wow, really?" That's uh, like inspiring to uh, know sure. that. Yeah, you know, and even uh, the other day, uh, other day, I were at a, uh, I was at a uh, jam that we have a yearly jam with all the with the old school hip hop heads that we have each year, and uh, one of the young artists that was once again. Breakdance, breakdance battles all day and live graffiti going on and basketball and uh, performers doing stuff. And then one of the uh, rappers who is a uh, young kid that is uh, making waves left, right and center, just like come up to me and just goes, man, he goes, you're the first person I ever seen rap live. This is like with all these other fans of his all trying to clamor around him. He's trying to have a serious yarn here. 
Yeah. I'm like, oh, bro. I go, look, man. That's an honor for me to uh, be able. To, yeah, I mean, for that. Yeah, I mean, for that sort of thing to happen. But that's why what I do. What I do. My, I think my whole thing, my whole, what would you call it, career, if you could call it a career, is about giving people opportunities and watching other people shine. I think that makes me more happy than doing my own thing, really. Yeah, it's interesting. I can really tell that from your whole, like everything you've done, it sort of centers around that idea, whether it is through being a host and, you know, playing other people's music or through your, yeah, these programs, teaching kids and rapping in language. And it's very much centers around bringing others up, right? Yeah, it's about inspiring other people because, yeah, yeah, I mean, I can't really come from a poor background. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, my parents didn't really have money or anything like that. And it's like not having much, like just then to be able to like use breakdancing as that catalyst. When I was a kid, my parents told me, don't go to school. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Parents are drumming into their kids. I, I drum it into uh, any kid I see, like go to school, get an education, do your thing. But my parents are like, you go to, you go down to the harbor and spin around on your head and back and uh, you, you're pulling in more money a day than your father can pull in in a week. So get down, so like get your cardboard and get down there and uh, and get into your busking. It was just like mucking around and doing break dancing, yeah, right. and then people throwing money. This is back in like eighty two, eighty three. Not many people had seen anything like that. And then I kind of people then everyone started coming to Circle Key to battle all the time. So I kind of moved around the corner. I think it was the St George Bank had a, like a mad marble floor around just around the corner up the street. And I go, oh, no, nah, man, I'll move away from there and let all these kids all go there and do their battling stuff. Because I, st I still know that there's like hundreds and hundreds of people walking past every day. And then like set up that spot there, which is where I met the other, my other friend Dax, who uh, hey, was the uh, co-founder of S Southwest Syndicate with me. He was like, oh, man, he goes, yeah, I can break. And he started, I go, man, I go, you want to split this half and half? We'll do a show together. <laughs> and then about I don't know, a year later, he moved in around the corner from my house, which is then uh, I was like, oh, man, far out. You're the guy that breaks with me. What are you doing here? <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, that, yeah, and God and rest his soul, he passed away a couple of weeks ago. And uh, yeah, a bit sad that, uh, of that, but hey, that's, uh, that's why, and that's probably why people, People always go, oh, man, you're always on the go and you're always doing stuff. And, yeah, I mean, that's what is – that fellow is not the first person to pass away in the, la in the last, like, uh, five or six, uh, ten years. That is, yeah, I mean, it's my age. I could drop dead any at any second. I've already had plenty of health scares as well anyway outside of that. Nah, man, we just, like, keep doing as much as we can do. Enjoying life as much as you can. Yeah, enjoying life and just, like, and doing stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, every day, I when I had COVID a few weeks ago, I was like, man, people know. They're like, how did you deal with, I'm uh, like kind of shaking my head if I miss an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I'm missing two weeks. <laughs> I'm missing two weeks there with COVID. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Which uh, is more of, uh, at the end of the day, inspiration. Yeah, I mean, I know that I'm on the back end of my life. Yeah, I mean, I want to get things done and I want to get keep doing the firing people and uh helping people out and doing stuff and also yeah i mean leaving my own legacy in the way of yeah i mean maybe getting together some uh, like a biography or some yeah. other stuff and putting out more more music yeah i mean i've got a couple of eps that i've already started on one of them being an ep with all all these great because things so when i'm overseas especially like doing the asian pop music etc and i'm doing more mainstream type stuff 
but every city I go to, I always find time to uh, go out for a wander and find all the hip hop heads. <laughs> of course you do. All the breakers and all the rap, all the young rappers, and uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter where I. So say like in ba- somewhere like Bangkok, and I'll uh, go there, and then because I know venue owners, etc., and go man, and put on some nights for these young kids to young young Thai hip hop artists to. Uh, perform and jam and then it's like since the pandemic they're like oh man far out you're not putting on any of these nights any you haven't been here to put on any of these nights <laughs> etc which is yeah i mean once again it's giving uh, people the opportunity and yeah i mean and there's not a word of english coming out in, in any of these events there's no yeah we're not a word of english happening yeah right how does it make you feel is that something exciting is that exciting for you no english or of course it's very yeah, exciting yeah. and yeah. a couple of times that i've done a set so i'm lucky enough to have a good friend over in thailand who's probably one of the biggest ever artists in thailand he's the guy that bought western dance music to thailand Back in the early 90s. So he's like, even people, Thai people here, if I tell them, I, yeah, I know, like, I kind of do stuff with, I know this guy. They're like, whoa, what? He's like a megastar of the 90s. I'm like, yeah. Wow. Anyway, but we've done a song, we've like got a song that we did together. We've kind of done the music together. And he like sings and does his thing. And I do my little raps in, what would you call it? Thai glish. <laughs> I would call right. it half oh Thai, God. half English. Me doing a show there, and I do like say, yeah, you know, I'm jumping on one of these th- like events, and like because you know, and a lot of these kids are like, oh man, are you gonna put like, yeah, you know, we want to see you perform, but I do my normal songs in English, and the whole crowd is just like staring at me, going, I can't understand a word that this guy's saying. <laughs> All right, yeah, right. And then I do that song, and I throw in some Thai language. And the whole place, there's people hanging off the rooftop. <laughs> They're all so going crazy. Learn, so just the language to perform, basically. Yeah. 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 I mean, I suppose that's the thing that I usually do when I do go to all the, even when I'm going to produce in other countries is at least try to learn some of the language as well. I'm pretty good in uh, Thai and Filipino, like probably the two languages that I excel at better than the others. All right. That's very impressive. Which, uh, I think your languages seem to be your thing in general, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Being being like knowing Aboriginal language helped like that 100%. Yeah, yeah of course. Because if I didn't know Aboriginal language, I'd be struggling to learn just knowing, like learning a different sort of phonetics and stuff like that makes it much easier just to pick up other languages. and it, Yeah, and you know what it entails is, uh, to learn another language because you have done yeah. that already here. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just a good, it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing to be able to do that and have respect. It just shows it. Because even when I produce, so a lot of young, uh, not even just, not even hip hop uh, producers, but just young producers in general just say, oh man, how do you get your foot in the door in like some of these countries? Okay. By not going there and saying that you're a producer, basically. So Basically, do? it's not going there and not going in there and saying, oh, I'm some producer from uh, Australia and I can do this and I can do that and I'm really good at what I do mm-hmm. type thing. It's like just going there with respect, respectfully, learning some, learn, learning as much of the language as you can, learning some, a lot of the customs because in a lot of these countries, they've already got people that can do exactly what you do. Of course. It's not like there's a lack of people that can do, yeah, you know, and there's, more people over there that can do that sort of stuff than there is here. Yeah. So 
But I tell them it's all about, once again, it's, a, ben, it's about how personable you are. And a lot of these young kids don't get it, but it's more like kind of got my foot in the door by just talking to people and being a decent person that they want to introduce to their friends. And then their friends want to introduce you to their friends. And then the people want to introduce you to the thing. And all of a sudden you've got this big circle of people and yeah, you know I mean, and you have, you know, I mean, and going out and meeting uh, young breakers and rappers and other musicians, et cetera. And, uh, and then uh, them saying, oh, man, you've got to meet this Australian guy, this <laughs> friend of ours. And then getting an opportunity, then it's like, oh, we're going in the studio next week. You want to come in with us? Having some ideas of, that, of production skills and things like that, how people can do stuff a bit differently. Once again, I always just throw out ideas. And if people take it, they take it. If they don't, it's no skin off my nose. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, wow, man, this guy's really good. Let's get him to produce <laughs> this person's record next. You know what I mean? And it's just like then it's just word of mouth type stuff. Yeah. And then a friend of then is like, oh, my other friend in Indonesia goes, man, I've been here and you've been doing all this other stuff over there. How come you're not coming here and you're doing things? Which I had no idea what I was walking into. And it, that I think one of the songs that we done off the my first journey to Indonesia was number one for 25 weeks or something. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. So I'm lucky to, enough to be able to like. I think it's luck of the draw as well of who you who you're meeting and who you're working with. But it's about being a personable type of like a type of person that you see them in the street and you want to talk to them rather than run the other way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and that's what trying to get. It's not about what skills you got. Yeah, I mean, you could be the best person at turning knobs in a studio in the world, but. And the moving faders and whatever you do in the ELM with your music production, you could be an amazing technical genius. But if you haven't got the people skills, you're probably not going to get your foot in the door in a lot of these places or a lot of these countries. That's how I got into like uh, into uh, that situation, that that in that environment. Yeah. But it's about respect as well. So even as Aboriginal people, it's always learning about respect and how you respect the land, you respect your elders, you respect your yeah, you know, in the place where you are, and mm-hmm. it's just exactly the same thing. Is having that respect first, and then being a, like a, a fun person to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course. So, do do you want to tell me something about um Naraburia? You're one of the Naraburia composers. Yeah, that is an amazing opportunity. I, I was I was thinking. Well, I had an opportunity to do it before, and I kind of declined because I was overseas. Mm. But then I was lucky to. Uh, the opportunity to be part of Naraburia come up as like thing when I come back from COVID. Mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, that's something that I wouldn't mind. Because and how I write music is it a bit different to what other, how other people write. I don't read music at all. I just jam on stuff. So it's like I usually just make a bass line and then add some keys and add some guitar and add some, add some other sounds in, et cetera, and, you know, and, and come up with mad with tunes. And that's how I do it. Right. So it's just like jamming on grooves and stuff like that. Is that how that Where is? I don't read music and I don't, like, thing. But then I'm like, I'm telling them, I don't read music. I don't know anything about sheet. You know, if you put sheet music in front of me, it'll take me about eight weeks to learn, work out what the notes are. You know, and, so, and they're like, no, that's not what this is about. This is about, like, us learning from you of how you write and how you put stuff together, which I was like, wow. But I actually want to learn some things as well. I don't want to like just do what I already do. You know what I mean? But I move it into a classical music realm. I would prefer to uh, learn something as well, learn a little bit about, you know what I mean? 
and yeah, I'm so lucky to be able to like learn and just think. Yeah, even my thinking now is like. So I done the, the first piece was more just showing what I already do, but then but the moving that into a classical sense. But the uh, newest piece that I'm in the middle of writing is more of like something that I learned where it's like so you, you could have like chords, like chord, like writing with piano. Say because there's a piano in this piece, mm-hmm. so it's like oh you've got a piano, a clarinet, and a uh, and percussion or vibraphone, whatever you want to do. So I'm like, oh, cool. All right. We'll base it around the piano. But then I was like, oh, yeah, I've got these these chords. And I showed, I showed the uh, Chris Sainsbury, who's like the head of it, the head of uh, Naraburia. And he's like, oh, man, let me just teach you this, which was like, you could have a note instead of chords, you have notes and move the chords around the notes. And I'm thinking, far out, man. All right. That makes sense. All right. Here we go. There we go. Now you're exciting me because I'm learning something. <laughs> this is this is what I'm doing this for is to learn like, like and he's like yeah and then you can add a third and a fifth and a second and this and that and build that around like the the note like thing so then I thought oh man this next piece I'll just keep the what like one note that goes all the way through the whole thing and have another like eighty chords eighty chords that go around it but always have that one note if you wanted to be part of this uh, this orchestra and you had a triangle yeah. and it was in the note of G. You could hit the triangle at any time and you would be in tune and you would be part of it. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So how do you envision this sort of project? So you have this one note, apparently, where you build chords around. Do you Have you learned through this project to how to read yes. sheet music? That's, well, no, nah, not really. It's still uh, like a bit of a, uh, bit of a hassle to like read it and I'm slowly getting there yeah. in the way of just like, what the... What the <laughs> What the what the what the notes are, etc. Counting the lines. And, yeah, counting the lines and the, how long the notes go for across the bars <laughs> and stuff like that. So I'm still, but I've got a new trick which okay. totally freaked them all out. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> I've got a new uh, a new composing tool. So I've got a MIDI guitar. So I've I've got a guitar that plugs into my laptop with a USB plug. So the guitar has a USB plug on the end of it. And what happens is what I play on the guitar writes into the computer. So then this piano piece, I'm thinking, mate, if I like always keep that G note there and like do all these like chord structures around it, the guitar, it's much easier than me because I'm not like the best keyboard player. Yeah. Like I can, I can, I can, I'm very, ba- I like, I can do the basics on the keys and, you know, I can do a couple of little runs and stuff and little fills and things, but I'm much better at it on guitar. So I thought, oh man, I'll see if I can use this. And then basically I wrote this piece, this new piece on it, which yeah, I thought amazing. was about 40% done. I went there the last week. Was it last week? Yeah. Last week I went there with it 40% done. And by the time I walked out of there, it was like 80% done. They were like, wow. Like, I was just like, nah, man, I don't know about these, this, 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 and this. And then uh, they, the musicians just like, will go, first of all, like, oh, man, can you make a PDF of the sheet music and give it to us? <laughs> I'm like, where other people have got all their sheet music there ready to go. I'm like, all right, man, give me, give me, give me a minute. Anyway, we do that. And they get their like sheet music on there. They got them on iPads these days. You know, and they're just yeah, like, yeah. they're reading the sheet music off the iPad. And they had one run through and it was like a, what would you call it? It was a disaster because they're like, this song is really hard. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean hard? Like intense? As or? in like, 
oh man, you don't know what's coming next. And it's like all like chords that are like crazy. You're doing bling, blings and all this sort of like stuff that is really hard to do. Oh, so anyway, oh, the first, first yeah. yeah, the first thing was like a, a mess. And then I was like, how about I play it off my laptop? Because when I wrote it, I kind of done it to a techno beat that I just put in there and I started playing around it with the guitar. And they're just looking at me going, what is this guy? Is this, what is this guy? All right, so cool. All right, so I'm like, thing, I played it and they go, we get it. I was just, then it kind of just blew me away. Like the whole thing was like amazing. And then it didn't end. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, the last, that's why I was like, the last bit, man, it's just like a jam where you can like jam on it. I go, man, you can kind of go off of what I've written and stuff, just like jam on it then. And yeah, you know, I went for like 16 bars and the, make it go soft and make it get louder and louder and louder and bang, you're, it's all over. <laughs> anyway, it went like this soft and then it just went bang and on 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 and they're like, man, this jam, this groove is so good there that we can be playing for the next 20 minutes on it. These musicians were just like getting so far into it that it was like, I was just, they're just going, wow. All right. We've gone from 40% to 80% in one session. That's amazing. And so you work together with a group of musicians, right? Is that like you yeah. compose together? Is that the idea? Or nah, it's more of like, man, what's your composition? And we'll see what we can add to they're like more of like, man, what can we, and me, because usually when I'm writing, I'm jamming grooves. And I think I'm the only composer that just says, nah, man, just like jam along with it. It doesn't have to be note perfect. So it's mainly sort of in the frameworks of classical music. Is that right? Yeah. But yeah. because, uh, because I I'm also as part of that, we've got a little uh, deal with the uh, Australian Music Centre to uh, basically publish our mu publish the music to mm -hmm. movies, etc., oh, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which then uh, it's like uh, then, uh, in that that in the, that other discussion, it's like oh man, it's like describe your music as like black exploitation meets Australiana. <laughs> Can you elaborate? <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean, it's got that kind of 70s soul vibe still going on because, yeah, I mean, that's where my, yeah, I mean, writing on bass lines and those sort of chords are my usual thing. And then it's kind of like got this Australiana, Skippy the Bush kangaroo type of vibe to it. <laughs> and uh, I, I saw you won an award. So, yeah, I think for Naraburia, I think it was like just a program won an award in Europe for just this innovation because it's oh, taking. Nice. It's taking musicians that aren't in that in that world that do things completely differently, like I do, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and putting them in that space, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah, I mean Arnie Marlin Cummins, who is like a blues singer, who uh, it's a doco on. I think it's a doc. I think it might be on Netflix or something like that, called Black Panther Woman. That is uh, a story of the history of the Black Panthers coming to the like in this country. In the, in the uh, 60s and 70s, which anyway, so she's a blues singer that is was part of that whole movement and they've done a doco on her. And uh, anyway, she doesn't have any classical like training or anything like that. And she's like basically got these classical musicians playing the blues. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> which, is, which is like, which is completely different to what I'm doing. I'm just got to be doing like crazy things. What a cool opportunity. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, which is uh, really good, and uh, and I get to work 
work with, like also being the same class as Aaron Wyatt, is the first ever Indigenous compo- like person comp- conductor of an orchestra. Oh. Yeah, you know I mean, and he's he's gone. He's been over when work with the London Symphony Orchestra, etc. So uh, just to have him and his knowledge there as well is like he just like kind of shakes his head at me and just goes, "How this guy does stuff is his own world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right. on his own planet." <laughs> Hectic. Do you think that like, you know, programs like Naraburia and just maybe just your music in general, how do you think it's contributes to not only sustaining, but really just revitalizing culture, indigenous culture? Once again, it's about, uh, it's about inspiring for me. Because, yeah, I mean, people that know me in the hip hop world are like, man, you're doing that classical music there. But then some people will be like, oh, wow. And a lot of people like have been watching what I did in classical music, like hardcore hip hop heads that would never listen to classical music in their life going, man, I checked out your piece, bro. They go, it's like, they're like, wow, man, that was like, I'm captivated from start to finish, which I'm like, wow, if I can get this person to like watch a piece of classical music, I think uh, I've nearly won the lottery. <laughs> I have won the lottery. Yeah, you're, you're building bridges between between people, between cultures, between musical genres. Yeah. So Amazing. that's uh to me and to me that's a lot like very inspiring for myself because it's like yeah I inspire other people but at the end of the day it's sometimes I sit there and think of what inspires me. Mm-hmm. And what does? First of all, inspiring other people, I think. <laughs> I think that, that's something that inspires me. But just seeing what other people are doing and uh, see what – that's another thing about, you know, when going overseas and just learning people because everyone's got a story and just learning what people are about and learning what they do and then just watch them thrive and do stuff is an inspiration. Like, wow, yeah, I know this person and, wow, look what they're doing, whether it's winning an Archibald Prize in a painting or uh, – Doing a mad graffiti, like doing graffiti walls and stuff, or you know, I mean, or doing a breakdance battling to go to the Olympics for spots on the Olympic team, you know, I mean, because breaking's in the Olympics next in in France in a couple of years' time to see them kids like all going for it and uh, you know, I mean, for a chance to be able to like go there to uh, just watching DJ friends of mine do their thing and be amazed by what they do. So, yeah, just uh, watching what other people are doing and uh, think, oh, man, that's very inspiring. Even on the weekend, seeing one of these young rappers at this uh, this jam that we had jump up and everyone, like, the buzz around the place that he was there because, you know, he's starting to, like, make some waves everywhere and just go, wow, man, this is so good to, like, be here and uh, watch what he's doing and just watch the vibe of everyone and getting excited that he's there and performing. That's uh, inspiring for me. Other than that, other than buying it, buying loads of analog gear and t- filling this room up with more analog gear than I should. <laughs> what do you love about the analog stuff? I suppose because back in the, uh, I couldn't afford it back in the old day, like back in the 80s when I was like working in recording studios, think, oh man, what a dream it would be to have one of these. Yeah, right. And now you can. And now they've kind of, now they've kind of come down in price a fair, like stuff, is, all that gear's come down in price a fair bit. But then just having access to be able to like have it all sitting in front of me i've got i've got a rack that goes all the way to the roof here here i'm just like oh, oh, oh here we go we've got a mad little compressor up here that's got six tube amps in it <laughs> do you use any of the gear or is it yes for like, for no because i'm yeah. yeah because i'm uh producing uh 
at the moment, a band, uh, an artist called Craig Tilmouth, who used to be the lead singer of a band called Nocturnal, mm-hmm. who uh, were uh, nominated for Arias and a Deadly Award-winning band from Alice Springs. They were more in like doing metal type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Known as the Aboriginal metal band. Yeah, yeah, I know. Basically, so every time I say Nocturnal, people's ears pop up and go, "What?" I go, "Yeah." So I'm working with Craig, and he's got an EP of four, of songs that. He's, uh, you know, I mean, written over the last couple of years. We'd go and record in the studio and then I'd bring it back here and I'd put it through all this old analog gear and then take it back. And he goes, whoa, what happened to the studio? He goes, wow, that sounds amazing. Like there, because it, there's a warmth to this old gear that you can't get by uh, recording on a computer. You're, you're from the old school school. You really are in your music, I feel like, in everything you love. <laughs> It's fantastic. Yeah, so it's just even going down to the recording, it's like very easy for kids to buy a like a, a recording. Anyone can record on a laptop these days and buy all these plugins, etc. that you can click on their digital. They're actually digital versions of the analog gear. I reckon I've got all the digital. I reckon I've got all the digital versions of all the pieces that I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd rather use the pieces because the way that I see it, the digital sound is 2D. And when you put it through the analog gear, it gives it a 3D vibe. It gives it some depth. That's yeah. the way that I explain it to people. More real as well. Like there's actual... Yeah, well, it's like it can bring things to... Instead of just being like left and right stereo from ear to ear, it's like a, you can bring things forward and backwards mm. in the mix, which is uh, by using different tools and different pieces of gear. That's how I explain it to people. And, like, and then people that... Ah, like producers and go, I've been trying to explain that to people. I haven't been able to like articulate it. Yeah, that's the easiest way to say it. It's like, yeah, the analog stuff is more 3D. Where, yeah, I mean, even like music years ago was more 3D-ish, you know what I mean? Where these days everything is compressed and very in your everything's like in your face and as loud as possible. Yeah, but that's probably the other my other addiction. It's an addiction, I reckon. Oh man! Oh wow! Oh, I see this. Oh, I see. Well, man, will I buy one of these things? I've done that today. I was like, oh man, do I really want to spend this money on this distresser? And then I'm just like, no, oh, man, I want a distresser in here. <laughs> I want it in here. I want to oh, be able goodness. to spin those knobs, <laughs> which is, oh, like I say, I think I it's mean... in the. It's some, there has to be a point where I like stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's when I get I... to the to the roof. <laughs> when I get to the roof, I stop. I told you it looks like a man cave. It truly is a man cave, you know, where you can just oh, it is. It's a, accumulate it's things. It's a recording. Uh, it's a what would you call it? A recording person's man cave. <laughs> Before we stop, um, is there something that you really, yeah. you know, feel like you want to tell people or or tell me? First, I want to give a big give a big shout out to my mate Don Letts. Oh yeah. First of all, <laughs> of Hi, course, the man that. The, Hi, Don Letts, the man that brought Bob Marley to uh, the UK. No, just, uh, I suppose it's like, just don't tell, like, follow your dream. My uh, advice to anyone, it doesn't matter where you are on the planet, is follow your dreams, inspire people, be inspired. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do something. Doesn't matter where you, you know, in. if you come from a poor background, a rich background, whatever, wherever you come from, Respect where you're from and respect where you're going and uh, and just follow follow your heart, follow what you want to do, follow, yeah. follow your dreams. Wow, that's a beautiful, beautiful way 
to finish, I think. <laughs> uh, thank you. That's uh, oh, well, it's just uh, being honest, really. Yeah. It's an honest way to finish. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you so much. Here's the track Paradise by the hip-hop group we've been discussing at length, Southwest Syndicate, of which Monk is a founding member. This is a really special track as it features Uncle Westman. He celebrated his 100th birthday this year. Enjoy. I'm Uncle Westman. I'm a, I'm a big and bull man in this country of ours. It's the oldest country of earth. Our people knew we had everything that we needed. Our sacred places, the sound of the trees, the birds, the animals, the birds are there. And uh, our people could live here for 60,000 years and look after the country the way we did. The way our people looked after us. Ancestors roamed on this land where we stand For a hundred thousand years here we danced and we sang And we have this connection to this country Like the black cockatoo that's sitting in the gum tree Washed by the sun and the moon and the stars And the deep blue washing to the ochre coloured dust Bird life, wildlife, following the song lines Been travelling this path for such a long time Through the blue sky they fly, I take a look Connected to the ground as I'm walking barefoot on the sandy beach As the cool breeze speaks, the cliff face watches over the rivers and the creeks And the valleys and the mountains are impressive The rain and the storm and the thunder come with cleansing This paradise is outstanding At one with the ground and solid rock where we're standing Eucalypt trees guide me, I see Bottle brushes, life beaming in this beauty Something about the winds here It just moves me Must be paradise of ever-changing lands An ancient island of the softest of sands See these oceans, crystal blue waters Clear as the views and the lessons she taught us And if I'm gonna be true We'll go right back to the mother cause we need to In the forest where we regrew Down by the banks of rivers see through Every seed has a beat too Canopies, river streams running through gullies to dump into the sea. Mother Earth feeds all, though hunger will never cease. Deserts to mountain peaks, always enough to eat. Medicine is in the trees, heaven beneath your feet. Connect to ancient paths, ancestors to the seas. One heart pump blood, waves crash upon the beach. Down under the stars, paradise is a dream. And this is paradise.
Thanks for listening to Movements and Sounds. This is a not-for-profit podcast. However, thanks to the SOAS Student Enterprise Fund, for every episode a donation will be made to SeedMob, an indigenous-led organization in Australia fighting for climate justice. Find out more about this incredible organization on seedmob.org.au. See you at the next episode.